0: Hello and welcome to the New in Chess podcast. My name is Remold Otten. I'm the publisher at New in Chess and I interview authors about their new books. And today our guest is Sergei Tivyakov from the Netherlands. Hello, Sergei.
1: Yes, hello. Nice uh, to meet you. Yeah. How are you? Yes, I'm uh, fine. So I'm very happy that the second book uh, has just been uh, published. Very happy that uh, finally my uh, dream came out to have a possibility to publish a real book. Because already many, many years ago, 30 years ago, in 1994, I published a book for chess informant, but it was the opening uh, books with chess uh, symbols. And since then, uh, I wanted uh, to publish uh, a real book with words, explanations, uh, like some uh, kind of classical book, uh, like I was uh, really enjoying to read during my childhood.
0: Okay. You are an ex- a real exponent of the Soviet school of chess. Um, and Botvinnik always told everybody that a grandmaster has to write a book. Is, is that something that you felt as an obligation as well? Uh,
1: yes, it is not an obligation, but I wanted to leave uh, something behind. Because there are a lot of players, persons who collect uh, books, uh, chess uh, books. And then if you have a book uh, published, uh, then at least uh, you will go into history and maybe... Some hundreds years later, there will be other players who will be looking at your old books and maybe laughing at how chess uh, was uh, developing maybe hundred years ago.
0: That's uh, that's very ambitious. Uh, I I certainly hope that will that will happen, but we will never find out. But the, your book is well. Your first volume of Rock Solid Chess was well received by both the, the critics and also by by the top players who I uh, I watched uh, when it was published last year. Uh, at the uh, Tata Steel Chess Tournament, I, I was uh, uh, watching that uh, the top players were all interested to have it. So Magnus Carlsen yeah. wanted to make sure that he had a copy and to had a copy. So I, they really enjoyed it. Yes, when
1: I was uh, in uh, Oslo in December, so all the players in Norway, they, they were telling me that Carlsen uh, thinks that uh, this is one of the best books and it is his favorite book. And he was... Uh, to all players in Oslo, that everybody has to read this book. So of course I'm very happy about it.
0: Ah, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, and, and on on Facebook, uh, other people like David Smurden, and um, who is a grandmaster from Australia, but also Christopher Chabri, who is a well-known uh, chess author as well. Uh, they they also they mentioned both uh, your first volume as their the best chess book of 20. 23. So that's uh, there were real some real compliments. But l- let's go back to the basics because a lot of people will know you um, mm-hmm. because you've been around for ages and you've won lots of tournaments. You've been European champion. You've been Dutch champion. You won a gold medal at the Olympiad. And maybe that's the thing that they will also remember you for. You had a streak of more than 100 games that you were unbeaten. Can you explain how you made that happen?
1: When uh, I was uh, younger than uh, now, I had a lot of energy and the quality of my games uh, was quite high. So basically I was uh, playing without the blunders, not committing uh, terrible mistakes uh, that could lead uh, to a loss. Even even if I was getting into trouble, I was able uh, to defend uh, bad and worse uh, positions. So I managed uh, to escape very well. But of course nowadays it is much more difficult to play. On such a level as before, because I don't have the energy to be concentrated uh, during uh, the whole game. And that's why, of course, my results uh, went uh, down. But it is a natural process, unavoidable. Unfortunately, nobody wants to become old, but you cannot uh, avoid it.
0: That's true. No, but but um, one, we're talking about 100 games over the board, classical time control. Uh, um, yes. How long did that last, that streak? It
1: was 11 months. so i calculated it was uh, 11 months but actually i was able to continue much more than this 110 games but then uh, it was difficult for me to play psychologically because uh, i was thinking that i'm unbeatable nobody can beat me and then (laughs) i started uh, to take too much risk so i wanted to get uh, rid of this uh, burden because when i was having this long streak of course, uh, it put some pressure on me. And of course, nobody was writing, but somehow I wanted that it finished uh, to get this kind of burden. And then the tournament that I was playing, Dial of Man, I was taking too much risk uh, against Shabalov uh, because basically I didn't want to make a draw. Okay. And uh, because of that, I lost. And then somehow I was relieved that uh, so it was no longer <laughs> any burden. I continued to play normally.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And uh, so, but were you nervous when you when you were reaching like 97, 98, if you could cro- cross the 100? Were you aware of what, what you were doing?
1: Actually, I was not nervous at all, but I can only recall that I started uh, uh, to become nervous, uh, feeling a little bit uncomfortable after I passed uh, the 100 uh, games. Uh, Okay.
0: only after the 100 yeah and yes. so and that that so you had a record at that moment and it was only broken by by Marcus Carlson himself wasn't it
1: yes it is true yes
0: yeah okay you live in groningen in the netherlands and you have dutch nationality you played for the dutch national team you were not yes. born in the netherlands can you explain can you tell us uh, where you were born and, and and what kind of place that is
1: yes uh, i was born in krasnodar so the capital of krasnodar region it is a very well-known place, not far from the Black Sea. So, not far from Sochi, which hosted the Winter Olympic Games in 2014. And in Krasnodar, we have very good chess tradition. So, for example, I began to learn chess in the local chess school. And the coach was Alexei Osechuk, the national master. Very, very good coach. And at the same time, he was uh, teaching me, Vladimir Kramnik, and uh, Pavel Trigubov. Uh, so we all uh, grew at the same time. And actually, there is a photo when we were taking the sessions from one and the same coach. And he put a lot of uh, good basic stuff for us. And thanks to him, we are all still very strong players and continue to play nowadays.
0: Okay. Were you stronger than Kramnik at the beginning?
1: Yes, at the beginning I was uh, stronger because I was uh, two years older than him and age uh, that important. But then everything changed uh, in 1992 when uh, Kramnik got a huge uh, support from uh, Kasparov because Kasparov uh, was uh, taking uh, Kramnik out of the group of uh, the players of the same strength. And he was giving uh, Kramnik special conditions, uh, inviting to the tournaments. playing for the Olympiad, all the tournaments that Kramnik uh, didn't have any right to play for, according to his strength. Okay. And this uh, stimulated the extra growth of uh, Kramnik. Okay. So basically you can say that uh, Kramnik became the protégé of Kasparov. Okay. And because of uh, Kasparov, Kramnik later became a world champion.
0: Yeah, so you, you ended up as European champion and Kramnik as world champion.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So this is the difference, yeah. Because it is very, very important to have a support at one moment. Okay. Because if you don't have a support, you have to break through by yourself. And it is much difficult if somebody is uh, taking you out of the mess and mm-hmm. helping you to go to the top. Okay. And, and this is very, very important. Otherwise, you can speak uh, in your place without the support.
0: Yeah. Was, was the, the, the chess school that you studied at, was that the, the Smithov School of Chess?
1: Yes, it was the Smyslov school from 1980 until 1984. I was attending the Smyslov chess school. It was a very good chess school with a lot of strong players like Khalifman, Bareev Dreev, uh, Salov and many other players. They were all attending uh, the Smyslov school. And of course, there were many other less stronger grandmasters. So I'm very, very happy that also I had the possibility to contact other strong players of my age but also work uh, under very good uh, coaches like Boris Lotnik, Yuri Rzovayev, Gennady Nesis uh, to name a okay. few. Yeah, those and are famous course, names. Uh, yep. Yes, and of course uh, the head uh, coach, uh, so the organizer, the director of uh, the Smyslov School was Boris uh, Postovsky, so a very famous uh, person okay. yep. in the Soviet Union, and then later he became my uh, coach, like director, and he was helping me with a lot of invitations, tournaments, uh, and yep. everything.
0: But when you were like fifteen, we were like- sixteen, um, what what did a what did a week or or a day look like? How how much chess did you study, and, and what did you study? Did you do openings, puzzles, and games? Yeah. Uh,
1: until the age of sixteen, uh, I was not thinking to become a chess uh, professional, so my results were quite average, and I was not demonstrating anything uh, special. So I was studying seriously at school and was preparing myself uh, to enter the university and to study medicine. Mm -hmm. But suddenly, at the beginning of 1989, when I was almost 16, I managed uh, to win the junior championship of the USSR under 16. So I got a right to play in the world championship under 16, and then... In all tournaments that I was participating in in the beginning of 1989, I played extremely well. And then I got a right to play at the GMA uh, Open in Moscow. That was a very, very strong Open tournament Mm -hmm. at the May. Then I was unrated, so official rating was 2200, and I had a performance of 2580. Nice. uh, Between three grandmasters in the tournament, including uh, uh, Anand, Koprejcik.
0: You beat Anand and Koprejcik?
1: Yes, yes, okay. Anand was very, very strong. I was unrated, and Nant was uh, something around uh, 2500. Uh, so then,
0: people are this. now complaining about unrated ch- uh, players from India. But you, uh, uh, Anant, as a player from India, probably complained about the unrated yes, player actually, from was Russia.
1: A similar situation as before because uh, the country was closed, uh, the borders were closed, and a lot of uh underrated, unrated players from the Soviet Union suddenly started to play in the international tournaments in 1989-1990. Uh, yeah. And my first rating that I got was 2480. That was a high rating, so the basis rating. Although I should have got above 2500, but some kind of strange methodic of calculation of the rating by FIDE prevented yeah. me getting yeah. the first rating above 2500. But then it was a turning point in my career because if you get the chances to play abroad so then basically you get very good prospects uh, for the future and then because, i started to, uh,
0: yeah because la- 1990 was the, the the first time that the soviet union opened up with gorbachev and yes, uh, and, yeah. and uh,
1: foreign currency had completely different uh, value than now so even if you manage to earn like one thousand dollars at any tournament it was a huge amount of uh, money so you could mm-hmm. buy like the half of the apartment or an apartment with this uh, amount of money and every player who get a chance to travel abroad and play international tournaments uh, immediately got good chance for uh, the good life uh, in the future and of course uh, 15 16 years of age is a turning point for any person mm-hmm. who starts to grow also we see in the modern uh, chess now but with a little bit of acceleration so now before it was 16 15 years now you see the players uh, booming at 12 13 years so this yeah. is the difference but yeah, yeah. the general acceleration in 3 in 30 years
0: okay and and if we are talking about the soviet school of chess is that that you that you simply get a very broad education that you are trained in all aspects of the game so not only yes, exactly. openings but also yes. every middle game principle and end and games, is, is that the, the Soviet school of chess? How, do you, how would you describe it?
1: Yes, exactly. So you have to learn uh, everything. So typical positions, typical uh, structures, not only the openings. And actually, uh, as I can uh, remember during the times of the Smyslov chess schools, we were not studying openings at all, because uh, it makes no sense to study openings in the group, because uh, every player plays different things, and if you begin to show something interesting only for a small group of players that is a sleeping so this makes no sense and instead of we had strategical training sessions uh, ending training sessions and also i take the same approach nowadays when i give lessons in the group so personally since i do not try to teach at the openings. i don't think it is interesting uh, for me to teach but i uh, teach the others uh, to improve the general uh, quality of play. So, okay. just and, uh, yeah, <laughs> so
0: and so, you more or less became a full-time student after sixteen. And and how many hours did you spend on chess then per day?
1: Because then okay. the amount of the information was very limited, and it was possible to work like two hours a day, three hours a day, and you still was able uh, to cover all uh, the things. For example, before nineteen eighty-nine, then most important book in chess, it was chess informant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was uh, the table book of every grandmaster, every player. And uh, there were only two chess informants uh, a year and when one was arriving, so you had enough time uh, to study all important games to analyze uh, something. And then I remember in 1989, I was also starting uh, to get new in chess yearbooks. Yeah. because uh, I became a contributor to New inchess in 1989. I yeah. started uh, to write first articles at this period of time. And then suddenly I got much more information to study because then uh, New inchess was heavy. Also, it was uh, going out uh, two times a year with uh, thick uh, volumes. Afterwards, it changed to three volumes a year, and then finally it became four volumes a year. And for me, that was a very, very important source of the information. Not only reading the magazines, but also study the games in a similar way like Chess Informant.
0: Yeah, yeah. you're talking about the yearbook for people who don't know. Yes, yes, yes. new in chess magazines and new in chess. Yeah, but I believe
1: yeah. yearbooks was one of the best chess products. So the information was additional to Chess Informant and they were complementing each other very, very well. So basically, the main books that I was studying on the Europeans were Chess Informants and New in Chess yearbooks.
0: Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay, let's move, to, let's move forward. When did you decide to move to the Netherlands and why?
1: Yes, in the middle of the 90s, uh, especially after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the economical situation uh, became very, very difficult in the Soviet Union. It was a very difficult life. The country was collapsing, so hyperinflation. And also, I was not living in Moscow. So it means uh, to go to a tournament abroad, would uh, be a huge uh, burden. Getting visas, uh, all this uh, travel was uh, extremely difficult uh, to grow further as a player. And after some uh, consideration, I decided uh, to move abroad after I finished the university in 1995. So I was uh, thinking between uh, which country to choose uh, to live. So the main choice was between Italy, because then I was already speaking Italian uh, quite well and Netherlands. So, and finally, when I got the support of Johan Swanepoel, who was the organizer of the famous Groningen uh, tournaments for more than 40 years. So he promised uh, his uh, support, and actually he did and helped uh, me to move uh, to Groningen. So I was able uh, to get the residence permit. And since then, since 1997, I live in Groningen
0: okay and uh, did you ever regret moving to the netherlands
1: no no, i'm very very happy with my life uh, okay
0: what do do you like about the netherlands and what do you don't like about the netherlands
1: Uh, of course uh, every country has uh, positive things and drawbacks uh, but poland mostly have uh, only positive uh, things maybe the only one negative thing is a Climate, a little bit cold, rainy, but for the rest, uh, everything is perfect. Uh,
0: exactly, yeah. because Krasnodar was a much better climate, wasn't it? Much warmer. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, uh, yeah.
1: it is much warmer, very hot in summer, plus 40, 45 degrees in summer. So here we don't have, but for the rest in winter, the climate is very similar.
0: Okay, okay let's move to your book, Rock Solid Chess. When you are unbeaten for 100 games, it makes sense that you write about rock solid chess. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of um, explanations about how you can uh, complicate games, how you can win games, how you can avoid draws, but still mm-hmm. it's based on yes. the solid foundations of the Soviet school of mm-hmm. chess, so it's rock solid. Um,
1: yes.
0: Your first volume was about pawn structures. Why did you start with pawn structures?
1: Because I believe it is very, very important uh, for every chess player, no matter what is the level of the player, you know. The basics of the pawn structures, because there are not so many different pawn structures on the board. So about 10, maybe 15, if you take uh, smaller details of the structures. And if you manage uh, to master all of them, then of course it will improve uh, the quality of the play. Also, as a child, I've already told that one of the coaches in the Smyslov uh, uh, school was Boris uh, Zlotnik. So very, very good, uh, talented coach. And also then in the Soviet Union time, he published the book about the typical uh, positions of the middle game. So this book uh, is a very thin uh, book and handles only uh, three, four uh, typical positions. So some typical pawn structures like isolated pawn, Carlsbad structures are covered very, very well. But other pawn structures uh, only with uh, small information about it. Nevertheless, it is one of the best chess books published. Later, it was translated by New in Chess in the English language, computer-checked for all for all errors. I also recommend to all readers to get this book if you haven't read, so you will improve. And so, this, of course, was the basis for my uh, future work uh, as an author for New Inches because I wanted to complement this book and to take the pond structures which were not covered in other books because, for example, there were also other books on uh, pond structures like Ship of uh, about the hedgehog structure, mm-hmm. also Mikhail about the hanging ponds, Baburin again uh, about the isolated pond, but the structures that I was uh, describing in our book, so they are not... Uh, mentioned uh, in the other things yes Yeah. and also I was under impression of the book of uh, Tigran Petrosyan which is called uh, chess lectures which consists of a thematic material so limited amount of time that you can use and you try to explain everything about uh, one uh, certain uh, subject so this is uh, the combination of two books uh, that Limited amount of space, limited amount of time, and then you try to explain as fully as you can the amount that you know about one certain thing in chess. Yeah,
0: no, you know, that, also, yeah. That, that's probably that's that's the thing that's a uh, recurrent in, in every. Um, every review of your book, that it's so the cl- explanations are so clear, and especially for 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 a pawn structure like your own specialty, when you have a, a pawn with the white pieces, you have a pawn majority on the on the on the queen side, and you and you try to promote your pawns. Uh, it's as simple as that, but there's a lot a lot of explanation by you uh, in the book. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by DGT, the chess innovators. DGT introduced digital clocks to the chess world at a time when only analogue clocks were used. For over 30 years, DGT has been making the official FIDE chess clock, endorsed by the World Chess Federation. DGT clocks are the world's best-selling chess clocks, the standard in chess timing and used everywhere. To find your nearest DGT dealer, please visit our website at dgt.nl. Um, Your your latest book that's published um, uh, this this month is um, Rock Solid Solid Chess, Volume Mm 2. And it's about peace play. And it's very interesting. There are a lot of topics that are not often covered. Um, I'd like to pick two of them. Can you you tell a bit about castling?
1: Yes. uh, So castling in chess is very, very important. Of course, every player from the beginning is told that you have uh, to castle as quickly as you can, but also there are situations when uh, you should not castle, you can postpone castling and maybe later to decide to castle in the opposite uh, part of the board. And of course, if you look at the older games of uh, Stenius, for example, Chigorin, so this is uh, not a new con- uh, concept in uh, chess. And looking at these old games, you can learn a lot. and. Uh, as you see, this can be very, very helpful because I was showing a huge number of my own games, uh, which I was able to win by in Castle. And I think it is a very, very important uh, aspect uh, of the chess play, which was not uh, covered in any chess literature. So yep. this is a so, little bit exclusive material.
0: Yeah, there are two examples in your book. One is that you play black in the, the Sicilian Dragon, and the other is that you play white with, in an Italian game. And in, in both yeah. of them, you, especially in with the black pieces, you yeah. are you are proponing castling short um, to, mm-hmm. to, to be quicker with your attack on the queen side against the mm-hmm. uh, white king, um, but you are risking to ha- a disadvantage. So the, 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 the engine valuation is, is minus one or minus one and a half, and that's a, a, a deliberate choice of you.
1: Yes, yes. Of course, sometimes uh, in order to win the game, you have to take a risk uh, and break chess principles. Uh, if you do not take a risk, sometimes you cannot win uh, the game. Of course, uh, when I was playing before such uh, lines, uh, the engines were not so strong and mm-hmm. they were not too used to refute certain lines. And for example, my statistical results in all such bad lines are overwhelming, like 80% score with black in this dragon lines yeah. when I was playing against very strong grandmasters,
0: uh, top players. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's that's a that's a spectacular outcome that you win eighty percent if you if you yes, start with with the, with the minus one and a half. Of,
1: yeah, but I believe my results in the Italian game and in the Spanish uh, when I was uh, 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 postponed in Castle, I'm more impressive uh, because this is a correct play and also a lot of players after me they were using the same approach and it is absolutely correct from the chess point of view and also other players. Started uh, incorporating the same method of play with white, so it is yeah. more yeah. appropriate.
0: Yeah. So the, like, yeah, this is one of the examples that's uh, one of the the chapters in your book is about castling and and the and the possibility of of the, of uh, of waiting with yeah. castling and, and starting an attack earlier. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just a matter of tempi. Another one that's interesting t- to me was cramped positions because everybody know if you have a cramped position, just exchange some pieces and hope for the best. But you have you have a bit of more advice.
1: Yes, yes. So I have a complete uh, set of strategical rules that you have uh, to use uh, when you have very, very passive uh, positions. And uh, since uh, 2005, I was playing Scandinavian defense, mostly on the high level against uh, world uh, top grandmasters. And at the beginning, I was having fantastic results with black, and this also made an influence uh, on the chapters that I created because everybody wants uh, to learn how to play in such passive uh, positions. Mm -hmm. But I want to mention another chapter in the book which is my favorite one. It is the chapter on opposite colored uh, bishops Mm -hmm. because a majority of the players think uh, that opposite colored bishops uh, is a draw position. And Mm -hmm. when they look at the evaluation of the engine the engine says 0.05 0.1 advantage which looks like uh, absolute uh, draw but there are so many hidden uh, things uh, in such endings with opposite colored uh, bishops for example when i was showing the positions uh, from this chapter from this book uh, to other strong grandmasters also at the camp uh, in oslo in office they were in shock and they were so surprised that they couldn't believe that the positions with such small advantage for the stronger sides can be easily converted into a full uh, point. So I believe this is a very, very good chapter and probably one of the most interesting in the books.
0: I agree with I rep- you because there was there's one of your games against Robin van Kampen and there is uh, t- two rooks, a queen and and one bishop on each side and and I looked at it and I said, oh, this is a draw, and it looks like a position I could get in my own games. It it fits my opening repertoire, and and then you showed how how White can win first. Uh, don't trade rooks, um, oh. then uh, put your pawns on the color of the opposite bishop and then start an attack. And it's it's so simple, yeah. but very effective.
1: Yes, and the engine evaluation on many positions for the product, uh, can be deceiving. So you just make one mistake in the position, which is equal according uh, to the engine. And then suddenly you lose the game and you have no chance... Uh, And uh, most of such positions uh, with evaluation of the engine is a deceiving evaluation. And also in the first uh, uh, book, uh, there is a special chapter, how to understand uh, such uh, computer evaluations. When the engine says it it is one evaluation from the engine point of view, but from the human point of view, it would be computer evaluation. And uh, since then, I discovered uh, more and more positions of this kind, uh, which uh, are misleading evaluation by the engine and also maybe chess base uh, should or other uh, 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 programmers uh, who create such engines uh, should change the evaluation not only on basis of the exact evaluation of the engine but also to add some human amount of this
0: how dangerous the position how how difficult it is for a human to play a certain position Mm -hmm.
1: So I'm very happy with this uh, chapter, which gives a very clear, good comparison. And especially the weaker players, they can understand that you should not trust uh, the engine for the valuation of certain uh, positions. I believe it is very helpful because a lot of players just look at the valuation and believe it is like the final word. But it is not the final word. Okay.
0: Will there be more volumes after this?
1: Yes, so the third uh, volume is almost uh, ready. So nine chapters are already written in the Russian language. So now the last uh, work is going on the sec- on the 10th uh, chapter, I believe. Also, there will be ch- 10 uh, chapters in the third uh, uh, volume. And uh, probably several months later, I okay. will present to you the concept of the third uh, book.
0: I'm looking forward to it. What, so we have pawn structures, we have peace play. Like opposite colored bishops, like cramped positions, like castling, like mm-hmm. the, the importance of tempi. If you uh, or if even if a, if there is a small difference in the in the position, that there could be a huge difference in evaluation. Things like that, mm-hmm. very dynamic. So, what's the what's the first, third volume? Is there a common theme? I think uh,
1: the third uh, volume will be similar to the second one, but uh, talking about other subjects okay. because. Uh, in total, uh, I have uh, the material for more than 100 uh, different uh, lectures. Chapters, And as you no. see, uh, less than 20 are okay. being used. No. So okay. at least uh, some material for one or two good books. Uh, okay. Because uh, the situations on board can be very, very different. Yeah. So, But I believe it will also be a good book. And afterwards, we will see how it goes. Okay. Because it is not so easy to come with the highest possible uh, a uh, quality chess material sooner or later like the gold mine everything will be exhausted and then you have to, think, uh, what to do afterwards okay. and also even the books are quite good the quality is high the readers always want uh, something new they want uh, to look at other things and maybe one day if Julia uh, will co- uh, collaborate maybe I will make a book uh, on my chess life in general from the beginning until with the highlights of my career best games because i have already a huge number of games annotated from different uh, tournaments so it should be more like a story like my life story with the best games and all my life story so okay. also my wow. dream and I need to publish it yeah. but i believe uh, at least a couple of years or maybe three, four years will pass uh, until this book will start to grow. So okay. for the moment, we are working on rock solid chess uh, in order to... Yeah, and
0: you're, you're also f- working very hard as a coach and a trainer. Um, how many, did you, did you count how many yeah. countries you visited last year in 23?
1: Now, in 23, actually, I visit um, very, very little countries nowadays because mostly I'm sitting at home and I'm giving lessons. I play very, very little. But before the coronavirus uh, time, I was still an active player and I was traveling a lot. And then I visited like 95 countries in the world. Of course, it is not a world record in comparison with other chess players like Nigel Short is beating me behind as a feeder official who can go to any even <laughs> zero chess uh, country trying to develop and build the new federation there so for me it is another story
0: yeah so 95 countries so five more to go for your streak mm-hmm. of 100
1: yes Okay, but of course nowadays mostly I sit at home, so I miss uh, traveling as before. Yeah. So it is uh, another change of activity for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. If if people want to contact you, um, uh, do you do you still take individual students uh, yes, as yes, a coach? Yes. Okay. Course, okay. If they, they want to contact, contact coach, you, how can they find you?
1: On Facebook, it is very easy. Okay. You just yeah. send, me a, send me a message. Very easy.
0: Okay. So uh, what I understand is you're coaching clubs, you're coaching countries, huh? you junior teams of national of, of national, yes, of yes, national yes. federations. So, uh, so.
1: Yes, so I'm open for all kinds of work. And recently, after the book received um, the award as the best uh, book of the year by FIDE, also I was invited to give lectures for the FIDE Academy. So under FIDE, I'm also teaching other young players. So I hope this kind of work will become more often in the future for me
0: okay thank you for, well thank you very much for this for this conversation um Not Boris Slotnik. I want just to, what you mentioned it's Slotnik's middle game manual who published his book yes, as yes, well
1: yes, um, yes exactly so it is fully translated into English for new interests. yes and also there is yeah. the second book of Slotnik, which is also very good I was looking at it also a fantastic book I recommend to everybody
0: okay yeah Slotnik now lives in Spain and he, yes, he yes,
1: was yes. one or of I mean, the compare. Yeah. Yes, I'm in contact with him. Sometimes we exchange messages. So yeah. yesterday he even uh congratulated me with a birthday, so it was a nice uh, thing from him.
0: Okay. Yeah, Now we we um we published yeah. two of his books. He was um he's also famous for being the trainer of uh of Fabiano Caruana when uh, Caruana moved to yeah. Spain yes. to to be he's able good to good train coach,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of players uh, who cannot become very strong in chess by themselves they become very good uh, chess coaches like Zlotnik, uh, Dvoretsky, Nieses, uh, who were not very strong as players, also Ramesh, uh, Rabi, also very good coach, but not a strong player.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but but, the other way around as well, we we spoke to Sokolov, he was a strong player and he's a good coach and you you were European champion and Olympic
1: Yes, and also also many uh, uh, players who were strong before also become good uh, coaches. So, yep. uh, me, Sokolov, uh, Drev, also Gelfand is uh, giving more and more lessons. Kramnik also is more active. Marazjevic, Leka. So, I believe if you have good understanding of chess, and you have achieved something in this uh, chess life, you can also pass your knowledge to the others. So, this is happening not only with me, but also to other previously top uh, players.
0: Yeah. Okay. So for everybody who's interested in following Sergei, you can follow him on 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 X, on Facebook. Uh, you can yes, uh, I, I'm
1: in all uh, social networks. It is very easy to find me, so I'm available everywhere. So if somebody is interested, can always send me a message. I yeah. always give them. Answer.
0: Yeah. And you've you've published num- numerous um, uh, DVDs mm-hmm. by ChessBase and two books yes. by New in Chess, uh, Rock Solid, Chess Volume One and Two. Uh, they're both available in the New In Chess webshop. Um, if you want to hear more podcasts, you can subscribe on Spotify or uh, subscribe to the newsletter of New Chess and you will be informed of every new episode. New In Chess publishes a new episode of the podcast every Friday. Thank you, Sergei, and good luck with your chess and your coaching.
1: Uh-huh. Thank you very much.